Amen. So this past week, uh, my almost four-year-old daughter, Daisy, participated in two different Easter egg hunts. And it's really fun. You know, the kids have a lot of fun. It's, it's, in, it's really a great time to see the kids' faces light up as they discover the joy of, uh, of finding these eggs. And the parents have fun, too. Uh, and I realize that there is kind of an art and science to hiding Easter eggs. All right? So you can't hide it too easy because that defeats the purpose of the whole thing. If they just went out there and they're, you know, they're just on the ground for everybody to see, uh, the game's over. It's no fun. You know, but if you hide it too hard and the kids can't find the eggs, that's incredibly lame too. If they don't find them, then that defeats the purpose of the game as well. So you have to strike that, that, that perfect balance of making sure that the kids can find the Easter eggs, but not too quickly. Uh, but sometimes even that's not enough. Because eventually, if you ever watch an Easter egg hunt, uh, you'll see that the parents begin to step in. They begin to start playing the game as well. And you might, you might, see, you might see a parent go, Hey, why don't you try over there, by, behind the tree? And then you, you see the parents start signaling, you know, just... <laughs> you know, but then even the signals, even raising your voice not be enough, eventually you start seeing parents going... Okay, all right, I'm stepping in. Come on, let's go. Why don't we check behind that bush over there? And all of a sudden, the parents are all trying to find the eggs as well, and it's like you're wondering, who is actually playing this game? Is it the kids or the parents? Well, it's yes, it's both. Both are playing this game. And I, I think this is a picture, friends, of our relationship with God. He's our maker. He's our creator. He made us for himself. And we all have this deep longing within us to reconnect with our maker. In fact, St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. The Apostle Paul said a very similar thing in, uh, uh, in Acts 17. He says, from one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Friends, God designed the universe, he designed the world, and he designed you. He did all this so that you would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him. God wants everyone to find him and come to a knowledge of the truth. And I think it's, it's kind of like God has arranged this grand Easter egg hunt, except the treasure is himself. And he doesn't make it so easy that there's no game involved, that you don't have to do any searching. No, he wants you involved. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to have a choice in this matter. But like a good father, he also wants you to find him. He has provided clues. He's provided hints, little through creation, through scripture, through the prophecies of the Bible, and ultimately through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has shown us the way back to himself. How can we know this way? How can we discover this truth? Well, we're going to look at one story from the Bible today that helps us find our way to God. It comes from uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles there if you'd like to follow along, or you can pull it up on your phone. Or... So Acts 10, 34 through 43, it tells the story of a man named Cornelius who was searching after God, seeking after God, and like a good parent, God directed him to the truth. Now, a little bit of context. 
Uh, Cornelius was a Roman soldier. He was a Gentile. That means he's not Jewish. But he loved God. And the Jews had a, had a category for people like him. Uh, he wasn't a convert to Judaism, but he revered the one true God. He prayed. He gave to the poor. He was a good person. The Jews called these people God-fearers. So Cornelius is somebody who fears God. He is seeking after God. He wants to know who God is. And while he is praying, an angel comes to him to tell him to send for the apostle Peter. So some men go to get Peter. Then Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, and he walks into a house full of Gentiles, non-Jews. Now, it's hard for us 2,000 years later to appreciate how explosive this situation is. The divide between Jew and Gentile was so strong. You know, it's like, I think of it like the era of segregation in the United States, when blacks and whites had separate schools and restaurants and water fountains. It's a very sad and horrible time. And Peter even says to this household when he gets there, when he gets there, he says, you know the Jews have a tradition and a taboo against even visiting or associating with Gentiles. So Peter is breaking this standard of segregation. And now Peter realizes God is doing something totally new. And he's going to preach a simple gospel, a basic message of good news that he now knows is for all of us. It's for the whole world. So in verse 34, Peter, it says, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So Peter will continue this gospel message, and I want to organize his message in a few points for us this morning to make it very easy, very clear for us to understand. So what is the simple gospel preached, uh, that Peter preached 2,000 years ago? Well, number one is this. God offers salvation to the whole world. He offers salvation to the whole world. Now, Peter is sharing this gospel with a Gentile Roman soldier. This is a groundbreaking event in history. It was revolutionary. It was integration of the schools in the 50s, world-shattering event. You know, Peter, he was just a Jewish fisherman from Galilee before he met Jesus. He just lived the way that his community taught him to live. But Jesus wanted to turn everything upside down. And for most of Jesus' uh, Jesus's ministries, the disciples, they thought that Jesus was going to restore the nation of Israel as a political powerhouse in the world. And it wasn't until this moment, Peter says, that he fully realizes that God does not favor Jews over Gentiles or Israel over the other nations. See, God, yes, God called the people of Israel, but he didn't call them because they earned it, because they were special, because they were better than anybody else. No, it was part of God's sovereign purpose to bring the blessing of Abraham, to bring salvation to the world through the people of Israel. But because of sin, God's call of Israel could get twisted into ethnic and national pride over and against other people. So friends, racism, ethnocentrism, nationalism, these are not new problems. And many today, we are rightly concerned. How do we solve these problems? How do we fix these things in our world today? And I simply want to remind you that the church, the kingdom of God, is the original. It's the OG, if you will. It is the original multi-ethnic movement meant to bridge and reconcile all of humanity together into one body. Because God wants to build a family, 
of every tribe, every tongue, every nation reconciled together through Jesus. So we have the solution to the world's problems. We have a love that transcends difference and division. We have a gospel that is meant for everybody, white or black, Asian or Latino, American or Liberian or Karen or Colombian. God wants all people everywhere to be saved and to come to him into the same family, reconciled together as brothers and sisters. Isn't that good news? The gospel paints us a vision of a God who is the creator of all and is seeking after us all. So Peter, he's witnessing God playing the parents' role in the Easter egg hunt. He's, he's witnessing God direct Cornelius to himself through this vision, through sending Peter to him. And so he realizes God is seeking after this Gentile to come to Christ. So that's why Peter begins to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So the first part of the gospel is God created you. God loves you. God is seeking after you. He wants you to come to him, to know the truth, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you have done, no matter how old or how young, God wants you to come to him. The gospel is for you. It's for me. It's for everyone. It's offered to the entire world. That's the first thing Peter says. The second thing Peter says is God sent Jesus to announce the good news of peace. He sent Jesus to announce the good news of peace. We know that God loves the world. He wants us to find him. And just like a parent might step in to that Easter egg hunt game, the Bible teaches that God also literally stepped into our world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. In verse 36, Peter says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. A few things I want to point out about this. First of all, this is a, a message that God sent. All right, this, this is from God to us. It's not something that we invented or that we get to make up or that we get to decide. It's not something that we philosophize about. It's not something that we can earn. It's all by grace. God did this. God is pursuing us. And that means we can be confident of his love for us because he's the one doing this. It's his message. And notice it's also, it's called, it's called a message. It's, it's news. And that means that there is content to this. There is a truth here. It's a message that makes a claim about what is true. What is true about the world. What is true about history and what happened. And what's true about where this world is going. So what is this message? It's the good news that proclaims peace. Now peace was a very important concept to the Jewish people. In the Hebrew it's Shalom. And it's this, it's this big word that we can't hardly grasp, but it, it means when everything is as it's supposed to be, when God and humanity is reconciled together, when humans are reconciled one to another, when all of creation is living in harmony as God intended it, just like in the Garden of Eden. But to announce a gospel of peace is to assume that we had not been in a state of peace previously, Right? But, I mean, this is kind of self-evident. We look around at the world, things don't seem all that peaceful all the time. You know, all the things that we see, the violence, the greed, the immorality, the racism, the inequalities, the degradation of the environment, the bitterness and divisions that divide us from friends and family. Friends, we know deeply there is something that separates us from God and from each other. The Bible calls this sin. 
It's our own choices to rebel against God and choose evil. And no matter how good that we may appear on the outside to other people, God knows all our sins. God knows the heart. God knows the motivation. And the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for example, look at Cornelius, right, in the story. Cornelius is like some of the best people you know. He is a centurion. He's a leader in the community. He has a great job, probably dressed nice, very wealthy, gave to the poor. He prayed all the time. He was very religious, uh, uh, clearly led his household well, feared God. And the angel comes to Cornelius, and the angel doesn't say, hey, Cornelius, we see what you're doing. You're such a good person. Just keep on going. (laughs) No. He says, no, send for the apostle Peter. We see you're seeking after God. Let us lead you into the truth. He sends him the apostle Peter. Why? So that Peter can share with him the good news. So that Peter can share with him the truth of how we come to find peace with God. Jesus came to announce that this peace with God, this peace with all of humanity and creation, it's now possible because of himself. It's now possible because of his kingdom that he came to announce. And that's what Jesus did when he walked this earth. He announced peace and he brought peace. He healed people. He casted out demons. He was bringing shalom. He was restoring his kingdom in the world. So this news that God is announcing peace, it may seem too good to be true. But if this new, but if it seems that way, and if humanity is so lost, and if humanity is so sinful, how can this peace be accomplished? That's what we get to point number three. Number three, Jesus brought us back to God through the cross and resurrection. He brought us back to God through the cross and resurrection. Peter's continuing the story, sharing this gospel with a Gentile household. He said, we've witnessed everything he did. God raised him up on the third day. He's saying, I saw with my eyes what happened. I witnessed this. Witnessed this. This was a real thing. And now Peter is excited that the Messiah, God's anointed one, came in his lifetime. And because, you know, he was excited about that because he thought that that meant that Israel would be back, that Israel would be on top again. But to his great surprise, instead of defeating Israel's enemies, Jesus was killed on a cross by them. What is going on? What is God doing? You see, Jesus had a bigger goal than than just restoring the nation of Israel. Why did he come? Why did he come to earth? It's simple. Jesus came to this world to save us from sin, from what separates us from God and one another, by dying on the cross and rising again. Why did this have to happen? Peter gives us a clue. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. Now, this is interesting. Sometimes in the Bible, sometimes in songs, you'll see that uh, they talk about Jesus dying on a tree, specifically, as opposed to the cross. And this gets at something that's uh, in the Old Testament law. In the very beginning of the Bible, we learn that sin brings a curse. It brings a curse. When the first humans, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God cursed the world, and they were sent away from his presence. They could not be in his direct presence. And when God's people, the nation of Israel, when they broke God's law that he gave them, they were also cursed uh, because of that and sent away in exile. And whether we know it or not, the same is true for us. When we sin, we also break God's law and we are cut off 
from his direct presence. And this is why people die. This is why people die. Because God is the only source of life. He is the source of all life. And if we die and we are cut off from his presence, then we will be forever without God because he is the only one who can bring the dead back to life. So the curse of sin is life without God. It's life without his presence. But friends, the good news, Jesus came to lift this curse. He came to be the curse for us, in fact. The Old Testament law describes how criminals who broke God's covenant were to be hung on a tree as a way of public shaming. The law says in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now the church began to realize that that Jesus was doing something with this. That, and they began to compare Jesus being nailed on the cross to him becoming the curse for us in our place on our behalf. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So friends, in summary, Jesus came to earth He inaugurated the kingdom of God. He lived a sinless life. He submitted himself as a perfect sacrifice, becoming a curse for us on our behalf in our place. He died the death that we deserve and was raised to life so that the blessing of God, so that the peace of God could be restored to the whole world through Jesus, so that as we believe and come to him, we are reconnected to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are reconciled to him and peace is restored. And because he rose again, Our salvation, our peace, and our eternal life is forever secured because we have a Savior who will live forever and ever. Death has been defeated. And Jesus is now Lord of the whole world, inviting all to find forgiveness and salvation in his name. So friends, that's the simple gospel. It's available to anybody, but it's not the whole story because we haven't dealt with, well, how are all these wrongs going to be righted? And Peter makes a point about this. So number four, God has appointed Jesus to judge the world. God has appointed Jesus to judge the world. Peter continues in verse 42, says, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus taught his disciples that one day he was coming back to be the world's judge. Now that may sound totally negative, uh, but judge also has very positive connotations. Because judges are responsible for righting wrongs that have been committed. Something wrong and violating has happened in God's world, and God is responsible for making it right. And the world has had a lot of wrongs, hasn't it? Sin, evil, and injustice that just makes us want to turn off the news. It's horrible. And we wonder why God is allowing these things. Well, friends, the Bible teaches that the reason that these things still exist It's because God is way more patient than we can even imagine. He is so patient with this world. He is wanting everybody everywhere to come to repentance, to come to the knowledge of himself. And he's giving everyone an opportunity to receive his offer of salvation. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about what goes on in this world. Jesus will come again to judge. And that means everything that's been done wrong, he will somehow make right. Everything that has been broken, he will someday restore. And then everyone who has ever lived will stand before Jesus and they will either receive the blessing of God in his presence forever or the curse of God away from his presence forever. And we should tremble 
at that fact. And this was part of the gospel of the early church, that Jesus was coming to make things right and to judge the world. But friends, we don't have to fear this day of judgment at all because God has made a way for us to receive his blessing, his forgiveness, and his presence. And that's the last point I want to make today. Number five, we find forgiveness of all our sins by believing and calling on his name. We find forgiveness by believing and calling on his name. And that's how Peter concludes his sermon. Verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. So to receive this gift, the scriptures use many words. We believe it, we receive it, we repent, we put our trust in him. It means we, we change our mind and our life and redirect it towards God. You know, so belief is never just intellectual in scripture. It's never just something we think. It's something we also do. You know, even, even the demons believe intellectually that Jesus is the Savior. So we are to embody what we believe by our lives and our actions. And that's a, that's a day-to-day thing, but it's also something that can simply start with a prayer by calling on the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, Peter concluded his sermon there by saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I believe in you and I receive you into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. So in summary, friends, God made you, God created you. He wants you to find him. He loves you. He offers salvation to the entire world. He sent Jesus to announce this good news of peace that's now available. He died and rose again to take away your sins, removing the curse and condemnation that's over us and bringing us back to God. And one day he will come again to restore the world and judge the living and the dead. And now he offers forgiveness. He stands ready to receive anybody who will call upon his name. That's the simple gospel. It's for me. It's for you. It's for the kids here. It's for the seniors. It's for everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from. It was for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles. It was for Cornelius and his household. And friends, it's also the only way. It is the one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So don't delay in responding to this gracious gift. I invite everybody here, if you haven't already, to believe and call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. And in closing this morning, uh, I want to invite uh, my friend Miguel Angel to come up. And uh, Miguel Angel, and I'm going to come to the stage as well, he recently reminded me uh, of the beauty and simplicity of the gospel. Miguel had to, uh, a project for school where he had to sing a song. I don't really know the we- reason why, actually. Uh, but he was prepping the song like 20 times, and um, it just got into my mind, and it, it reminded me of the beauty and simplicity of the gospel. And so we're, we're going to sing it for you as we close. And this is, uh, these are words that you can pray as a believer to reaffirm your salvation And it's something that you can pray for the first time to receive Christ as Lord. So let us proclaim the simple gospel. Save the world.
I invite everybody to stand and sing with us. Jesus, you died upon a cross and rose again to save the lost. Forgive me now of all my sin. Come be my Savior, Lord and friend. Change my life. Jesus, you died upon the cross and rose again to save the lost. Forgive me now of all my sin. Come be my Savior, Lord and friend. Change my life. Thank you.